Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rupi, my co-conspirator. As always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, September the fourth edition of the Rebel Report. Um, it is Arkansas week for Ole Miss, a game that they have to win. There really is no no making any bones about it, no sugarcoating it. Ole Miss, if they really want to have any semblance of getting to six wins or getting or putting together a season that will, Yeah, you don't get to lose this one and start 0-2. Yeah, uh, uh, that, that will appease a fan base that is already largely checked out. This is uh I mean this is it. Like the, you gotta win this one. Um Today we have a loaded show. We have Kelly Stacy on. She covers Arkansas for the Athletic. Um, we got into a lot of that. I think the first sentence I uh, question I asked her, I described this thing as a pillow fight. Um, she had some interesting things to she she put in perspective, kind of what happened last week with Arkansas and how that game with Portland State shook out. Because if you if you look at that game. If you look at the box score without having watched the game, it really makes no sense. Arkansas had basically 400 yards of total offense, only turned the ball over once. Portland State turned the ball over three times. Their quarterback put up absolutely atrocious numbers, theirs being Portland State. And Arkansas only won the game 20-13. to 13. Like, if you look at the box score, the the, the final score and end result is kind of baffling, honestly. I know Arkansas is not any good, but if you look at the statistics, it makes very little sense how that game ended that way. So they were more dominant than the the final score indicated. Yeah, and I know that sounds stupid. You beat Portland State twenty to thirteen, but I'll read through a couple of these numbers. I mean, this is it. It they played two quarterbacks. They were extremely vanilla with their offense. But listen to these numbers. Like this, a lot of it doesn't make a ton of sense if you're really just asking for his stats. So first downs, Arkansas had twenty six. Uh, Portland State had sixteen. Arkansas had three hundred and ninety six yards of total offense. Um, Portland State had 230. Uh, Portland State had 75 rushing yards. Arkansas had 204. Uh, Portland State was penalized 10 times for 85 yards. Arkansas penalized 7 times, 70 yards. Arkansas had had the ball for 33 minutes, or 34, basically, give or take 20 seconds. And Portland State had the ball for 26 and change. Portland State turned the football over three times. Arkansas turned it over once. Um, Arkansas averaged basically five yards to carry four point nine. Portland State added two, added two, averaged. Excuse me, I can't talk today. Two point seven. Um, I mean, where do where do I keep going? Sixteen of thirty three, <laughs> eighteen of thirty five passing attempts. Five point five yards per pass. Four point seven for Portland State, but the score was twenty to thirteen. Third down, Portland State was tw- quarterback is, is the main question. Well, Ben Hicks is going to start. Is he going to start? I- it just kind of feels like that if they're going to win games on a consistent basis, that Stalker is going to have to be their guy. I feel like at some point, Hicks is probably going to struggle on Saturday and they're going to hand the ball off to him and, and they're going to run him in the ground. He's, just, he's, he's, a, he's a better quarterback. Uh, his ceiling's a lot higher. So I feel like you're going to get a heavy dose of him for, uh, for Ole Miss on Saturday. Um, yeah, it's interesting to me because I asked yeah. Kelly about this very thing and she mentioned last week that Star- so Starkle came into the game and he was four or five and then he threw an interception and then they went back to Hicks and it was interesting to listen to Kelly talk about this because it came when Starkle was I mean, when Hicks was pulled in favor of Starkle 
it came at a time where Hicks wasn't necessarily playing particularly well, and so it seemed like a performance-based thing, but Morris kind of fell more in, Morris said, was insistent after the game that it was part of the plan, because it has been a while since Starkle has played real foot, like actual game, game, like game snaps, real football, um, and so while I don't necessarily not believe Morris in the sense that it was all part of a plan to get Starkle reps, I'm not sure the timing of him pulling him wasn't necessarily strategic in terms of, okay, this guy's sucking, let's try the other guy for a second. Um, I, I would be hard, like, she, Kelly made it seem that it probably wasn't necessarily completely just a, like, Starkle's turn, this is part of the plan, it was maybe a little bit of Hicks is kind of struggling, we'll try something else. Um so she seemed to think that you're going to see both guys on Saturday. Um, that's not really a shock. I really asked her that more so for like confirmation more than anything else. Um, she seems to think Starkle maybe provides a bit more upside in terms of arm strength, a little stronger arm. Hicks is kind of more familiar. Um, you'll hear all of this in a second, but I thought that was interesting listening to her talk about when he was pulled and how, and the I guess the circumstance around when Hicks was pulled last week. You're definitely going to see both. To me, this feels like a week. For Arkansas, because you know, kind of the talking point for Morris, it sounded like was, well, they were very vanilla with the playbook. They didn't want to show much. Blah blah blah. First game stuff. Um, but this week it's balls to the wall. Like there's no holding anything back. This is probably Arkansas's best chance to win an SEC game. I don't. I don't have the rest of their schedule. I don't. Well, know they they, uh, they go to Tennessee. That's fair. But I, I mean, hell, man. I know it's. I know it's. Tennessee was bad last week. But you never know week one, and if Ole Miss offensive line keeps up, you could still make the case this might be the best chance they have. Um, we'll get into some of that in a second. But point being, this is one of their best opportunities to win an SEC game. I guess what I'm trying to say here is it at least feels like in one of those things that if you see both and one performs drastically better than the other, like if Starkle comes in and he provides a spark and he's a lot better, I think they'll ride him for the rest of the game. And I think not only that, this feels like a point for Arkansas. If somebody steps up and takes it here, and it would probably help if they win the, won the game. I'm not being facetious when I say that. If somebody steps up and Arkansas wins the game, it feels like they're going to ride with them not only for the rest of that game, but probably more so in the future. Like if there's a time to kind of take the reins to this job, this would be a good chance to do it against an SEC opponent that Arkansas really needs to win, and a not very good one at that. Boy, it's it's a huge game on on Saturday for both programs. I didn't realize this, and I guess I should have. You realize Ole Miss has lost seven football games in a row. I mean, yeah, they lost their they were five and two last year and lost their last five. Yeah, six games in a row. I mean, it's and look a little bit that is their schedule is backloaded last year and all that. I understand that, but. Good God! I mean, you, you've got a fan base desperate for a win, and if they don't get it on Saturday, it it can turn into chaos real, real quick. Um. Yeah, I guess chaos. I I don't know. I mean, I get fans are irrational. Fans are very impatient. Fans want results now, but they were always going to suck this year. This was, yeah, but this was the time. Tough man. But still, like this is. Pay- I mean, last year they went in the last few games with fifty-two scholarship players. How you win football games with that? Well, you uh, the first thing you do is you don't blow a seventeen point lead to Vanderbilt because you refuse to run the football. That would probably help the call. That's fine, um, but every other game, I mean, yeah, they were kind of in it. Arkansas, I mean, Auburn was a disaster. Carolina, they were up ten in the fourth quarter, man. They were, but that's kind of where the fifty-two scholarship thing comes into play. Arkansas, our, South Carolina was decimated by injuries as well, but they at least had more bodies and more reinforcements than Ole Miss did. Yeah, but when you get zero yards in the fourth quarter with NFL guys all over your offense. That's kind of tough to swallow, too. 
Yeah, that's fine. My point being, this was always the year where you're the NCAA tab, like, you had to close out and pay it. This is when kind of you pay the piper for your sins. And I say sins basically just to make fun of yeah. Hugh Freeze. Um, and, and, but it's you're it, approaching this rationally, though. Like, like exactly. fans aren't going to view it like that. They've lost five games in a row. If they lose Saturday, it's going to be six. And for the love of God, they just want to win a football game. Yeah, but like, if, if you view it, for, if you view something from an irrational standpoint, that's a you problem. And I'm not saying you. I'm talking about that, collectively the fan, ba- like the fan base. That's a you problem. Like if that, you if you can't look at things, though. like that that no no fan of a team is going to ninety percent of fans don't view their team rationally. That's I, I don't. That's fine, but then, like, if you say like chaos and people are pissed off, well, that, that doesn't necessarily matter. Like, it is what it is because it is. I mean, no, it's Keith Carter's job to look at it rationally. It's the permanent whoever's his ultimate replacement when they find a permanent guy. That's his job to look at it rationally. Yeah, but you say it doesn't matter, but it will matter when there's you know twenty eight thousand fans in the stands against Southeastern Louisiana, and if they play like crap against them, there'll be thirty two fans in the stands against California. And like it does a, matter from that perspective. Sure, but like, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to make the coaching change more than like if, if you're one and three, and there's, I mean, it, it's just chaos around the program. I don't think you can survive that. Uh, you definitely can. There's no one in place to do it. I would put that as a less than two percent <laughs> chance that that happens this year. Of of them starting one and three? No, of the any a coaching change being made. Man, if they go three and nine, and and I don't think they are, but if they go three and nine, for the love of God, there's no one in place to make a change. We've talked about this before. There's literally, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Somebody can make a change. It's three and nine. Are you, I think you're going. Who is it? Who's the somebody? Somebody is in there. It has. I mean, for the love of God, if you're three and nine and go zero and eight, man, you're one and fifteen in SEC play over your first two years. They can't just sit there and watch this. But there's again. That's you keep saying somebody. There's really okay, not. Well, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. But I'm telling you that they have to do something if he's three and nine, one and one and fifteen in the SEC. Maybe so. But again, this was they were always going to struggle badly this year, and they were. And it was always going to be a struggle. Now, yes, is it is three and nine excusable? No, not necessarily. You probably need to provide a little more evidence that you're trending in the right direction. But I guess all I'm saying is there really aren't the pieces in place to make a change. And I, I'm, not, I'm sure that'll make people angry and that's frustrating to people, but it's just really the fact of the matter. Like, there's no chancellor. There's no athletic director. This, you know, you're kind of in a holding pattern until that gets fixed out. And really, this that's part of the NCAA stuff, too. People never really want to look at it from that lens but the fact that you have an AD that left, well, maybe not necessarily Ross, but it certainly contributed to it. The fact that you have no chancellor is all a ripple effect of the NCAA thing, of how poorly that was handled, how mad people were. how It basically showed how incompetent the leadership was at times. And I'm not even necessarily talking about solely about Ross Bjork in that sense, because I think he was handicapped by an incompetent boss. But the reason the leadership... In, at the school right now is in such disarray and is really non-existent is partly because of what happened the last five years and how the NCA case was handled. So people don't really view that as an NCA penalty, and you can't directly call it one, but it's certainly a ripple effect. Yeah, Ole Miss lost their chancellor eight months ago, though, and they've made no progress for hiring one. So it's kind well, that's of a whole no, that's a whole other conversation. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is, at most places they have a chancellor in place by now. Um. 
Yes, um, but Mississippi is a very unique setup in terms of the way the public universities are structured with the IHL board and all that. So saying like uh, it's 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 almost in some ways it's comparing apples to oranges with the way the process is set up. Yes, but it's a ridiculous process that it takes ten months to hire a dancer. Yeah, but that's not really an Ole Miss problem unless I mean this is a conversation for another day. But that's 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 mostly an IHL issue. Sure, but I, I just. I have a hard time blaming the NCAA, and I have no issues blaming the NCAA when your setup is to take a year to hire a chancellor. Uh, I mean, Ole Miss is set up, but the IHL. Yeah, but again, that's not necessarily a, a strictly an Ole Miss issue. Anyway, point being, it's 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 an important game. We got off kind of a rabbit hole there, but it's an important game for Ole Miss for a lot of reasons because you've got to pull in a checked out fan base, and it's almost if you lose a game like this to Arkansas. It's almost at the point of no return. Like, if you lose to this Arkansas team coming off a seven-point win over Portland State, who I don't believe is a very good FCS team uh, from what I gather, like, there really is no coming back from that. Like, you're not going to re-engage people. I know that sounds unfair. I know that sounds probably dramatic, but I think it's mostly true. I think if this, you know, if Ole Miss were to lose this game, barring some kind of Barring them beating a couple people, and I mean multiple teams they weren't supposed to towards the end of the year, I don't think there's any coming back from that. No, I mean, if, if you're 0 and 2 and then you're 1 and 3 to Cal, I mean, it, it's over at that point as far as making a bowl or having a successful season. I mean, it's just, that's not in the cards at that point. Yeah, um, so Portland State was a 4 win FCS school last year. Not great. They beat College of Idaho. They beat Northern Colorado. They beat Sacramento State and Montana. Um, Brand value. Idaho. Excuse me, four and seven. They only played eleven games. I gave them an extra loss. So it's an interesting matchup. It's going to be a pillow fight. I mean, these two teams suck. There's really no way around it. Um, what I am interested to see. Excuse me, I'm a little under the weather this week. Um, what I am interested to see, and what I asked Kelly about some was um, was how Arkansas is going to attack Ole Miss from an offensive standpoint because I think it, I would assume it's probably going to be similar to what Memphis did is to where they really attacked Ole Miss in space quickly and made them make tackles in space. They got the ball to playmakers on the perimeter and this week it's probably going to be Devois Whaley or maybe even a couple of their bigger guys on the outside. I mean, Traylon Burks, they got a couple of big outside receivers, and they got a couple of interesting pieces in the slot. How much do they try to push the ball vertically down the field as opposed to get it out in space? Then, of course, you have a bigger bruiser-type running back in Rakeem Boyd who killed Ole Miss last year before he was uh, – I believe he was injured somewhat early in the third quarter. Maybe it was second quarter. I can't quite remember that entire game. It was. I'm still not even 100% positive that game was real. Um but he had seven touches for 119 yards. He had four catches for like 40 more yards out of the backfield. He was torching Ole Miss before he was injured. And honestly, if Arkansas's quarterback, Ty Story, or whatever the hell that kid's name is, and Rakeem Boyd don't get knocked out of that game, Ole Miss probably loses that. They probably 4-8. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, going, it's a must win for really both teams. I mean, somebody's going to lose their fan base after Saturday for the most part. I mean, Arkansas is kind of not fed up with that more, but I mean, you go two and ten, man, and you look like that against Portland State. You go to Oxford and get beat. That's that's not a good place to be either. No, so, uh, it's not. It's, I asked her about that some too, and she seemed to think that most of that fan base is maybe a little more patient than than Ole Miss is in the sense that they know it's going to take time. 
she was kind of the same thing. She would say, I would say 65 is rational in the sense. She said 65% of the fan base I deal with is rational in the sense that they know it's going to take time and be a longer process, and there's probably 35 asking when they're going to get a new coach and what it would take to fire him. Yeah, and, and look, you get you got to give you know more a little bit more time, I guess. Um, man, two and twelve is a tough look, or I guess it'd be three and eleven, but that's a tough look too. So, uh, I, I mean, there may not be time to fire him in Arkansas if they lose the game. Probably, certainly not. But it's gonna it be tough from a fan base perspective if you lose that one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we'll go ahead and get to that interview, and then get to some other stuff. After that, so without further ado, here's the interview with Kelly Stacy from the Athletic. We talked a lot about what this game means for each, uh, <coughs> excuse me, each program. Um, kind of how Arkansas will attack Ole Miss. Some of the problems that a really bad Ole Miss offensive line will face up front against a pretty a very veteran Arkansas defensive front. Some other things. So here we go, Kelly Stacy. All right, and we now welcome on Kelly Stacy. Kelly is the Arkansas beat writer for The Athletic. Um, if you don't know what The Athletic is at this point, I can't really help you. I'm pretty pretty positive most all of y'all do. Um, if you're not a subscriber, you should. They put out one hell of a product. Um, I've had a couple of friends start working there, some some people that have mentored me in the past. It's a um, it's an awesome site. It is worth every penny. It's what, roughly about a cup of coffee a month? Kelly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. A little under the weather this week. Kind of some allergies and congestion stuff, but I, I think I'll be uh, probably questionable for Saturday, but I think I'll be able to suit up. I'm actually dealing with the same thing. Yeah. it's. Uh, I don't know what got me. I think it's just a little congestion combined with some allergies. It was a uh, it was a struggle at the beginning of the week. Um, yeah. But we'll get right into it. So I don't know other, any other way to describe this one than this is probably going to be a pillow fight. These are two teams that <laughs> struggled really mightily last week. We'll go start from the Arkansas side. So I noticed, um, and I probably in terms of people listening to this particular show, they probably fall in the same category as me. I was driving back from Memphis, and so I didn't catch much of Arkansas's game, but judging by the box score and, you know, like the ESPN score app, what exactly happened? I know that sounds simplistic, but Arkansas had almost 400 yards of offense, really didn't turn it over, but it looks like once. What happened? Yeah, um, so this is my first experience covering an Arkansas football game, and it was interesting. So, you know, they were able to drive down the field some. Uh, They put together a couple of really, really good drives, but there was no really offense. I mean, no rhythm on offense. So they had a really hard time actually getting in the end zone like they just could not finish drive and then at one point in the second quarter they actually took out their starting quarterback Ben Hicks put in Nick Starkle who's also a transfer he's from Texas A&M and he played two drives and in I think it was his second pass of the game he threw an interception so that was that was their one turnover um, and then Ben Hicks came back in for the rest of the game and yeah they just they they really could not could not finish at all. And Chad Morris has claimed it's because, you know, they were running their base offense. They wanted to be, in his words, really vanilla. But uh, that took away a lot of a lot of the bigger plays that they should have been calling. And, you know, they won. I don't think that they were ever really in danger of losing, but it was not pretty. So, I'm, it's interesting you brought up the, the Starkle thing. So, 
you know, judging as someone who, who watched very, very little of it, it was interesting. He goes four or five. You mentioned the turnover. Is there – I know they battled it out through most of camp. I, I always kind of figured that Hicks would win that job just because of the familiarity from SMU and all of that. Is, is that – has he won that job? What are the odds their two quarterbacks played this week, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, I think that the odds are very good. I do think you will see Nick at some point. I, I don't know how much you're going to see him, though. Um, they haven't really said. Ben is still you know, on the depth chart as the starter. Chad said he is still the starter. Uh, the point of bringing Nick in is, in their words, to just give him more experience because whenever he was at Texas A&M, he only played four games last season, and before that he was injured. And so it's been a really long time since he's had any meaningful game reps. So Chad said, you know, he wanted to to bring him in and get him meaningful game reps, but it was just very odd timing that he shows the end of the, the second half whenever Ben was having a little bit of trouble finding rhythm on offense, you know. It was it was not time the best for it to look like it was just for experience. I I think that job might even still be open. Uh, in reality, but yeah, you're you're going to see both of them. In in your opinion, from the very little you've seen of both of them, and obviously it, it, you're probably about the same as us in terms of a practice access standpoint. You get to see some stuff, but there's not a whole lot you can tell from it because they're going up against air. Who is there? One particular guy that offers more upside? Is there one? Like it, it seems like Hicks is maybe more like. Morris is maybe more comfortable with him, but Starkle potentially offers more upside. Would you agree with that? What are your kind of thoughts as regards to those two? Yeah, we uh, we don't get to, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't get to see much at practice. We get about twenty minutes, and you know, depending on what they're doing that day, will you know, it that determines how much of the quarterbacks doing things that aren't just basic drills that I actually see. Um, you know, Morris has even said it himself, but it's pretty clear that Nick just has the stronger arm, you know. Uh, he's, he's more physically gifted in that aspect. Uh, according to all of his teammates, though, he is one of the slower quarterbacks and then is one of, I guess he's the second fastest on the team. Uh, he showed some good escapability last week, and I think that that's really important to be playing uh, quarterback on this specific team with with a young offensive line, but you know Nick has Nick has a lot of benefits to him. He he seems to do really good with up tempo, which is the kind of offense that Chad wants to run. Uh, you know, Ben had a little bit of trouble with it. Uh, there was a lot of it that wasn't his fault. A lot of drops last week. A lot of young wide receivers. But you know, there were some bad throws, and there were times whenever they just. They just could not get into a rhythm. I imagine it's one of those things where Morris doesn't necessarily want to keep it this way. He would probably like for someone to kind of take the reins of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I would assume so. <laughs> that that would be uh, the normal thing to have happen. But I, I don't know. They they really want to get Starkle some experience. Uh, you know, there's always that fear of what happens if Ben gets injured. You know, we're going to have to throw in this guy who hasn't played since, I don't know, maybe the fourth game of last year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously he, he wants one or the other to take over. But as of right now, it just seems like they're still going back and forth. It, it still very much feels like it's 
fall camp and there's a competition and the spots open. Last year, it wasn't not that you get a pass necessarily for going two and ten, but with the changing in styles of offense and the personnel Arkansas had matched with the scheme Morris was trying to run, it was certainly understandable why they struggled so badly. And you could even tell that Ole Miss-Arkansas game last year was probably the most fitting setting and game for these two schools of all time. It was in a really old stadium in Little Rock. It was freezing cold and raining. And you could just kind of tell that Arkansas was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, but you didn't really have any other choice. I mean, it was just kind of the way, you know, the, you know, Morse's successor left it. It, it. Where do you think they're at? I know this is your first season covering them, but just from what you've gauged, where are they at from a personnel standpoint kind of morphing into a team that more fits Morris's offensive scheme? I, I think they're in a much better spot than they were last year just because now they have, you know, right now a starting quarterback who has been in this style of offense for this will be his fourth year. And so, you know, last year they didn't have that. They had a lot of quarterback issues last year. They started three different guys, all three of whom are no longer on the team. And now they have Ben, who's been in it for a really long time. Nick, who has grasped it, from what I understand, immediately once he got uh, to Fayetteville, was very quick to pick up the offense. And now they have some young receivers. Uh, they got four four-star receivers last year. They're all really talented. Two of them are starting. And it seems like, you know, they just have that buy-in with Coach Morris where they believe in what he's saying. They believe in what he's doing. They believe in the direction. And it just seems like everyone is, is much more on the same page this year on this offense than they were last year. You know, there's there's not much confusion. Everyone kind of knows what the end goal is. And you didn't get to see much of it on Saturday just because, you know, Morris and offensive coordinator Joe Craddock kept the play calling very conservative. You didn't get to see much of, of what they actually want to do. But we did see in practice yesterday, um, whenever they went team offense against defense, they did uh, a lot of up-tempo work. So, you know, it should be a, a much different team stepping on the field this Saturday than it was against Portland State. Rakeem Boyd. And Whaley is an interesting running back combination to me because Boyd in particular killed Ole Miss last year. I think he had seven touches, <clears throat> excuse me, for 119 yards. And I believe if I'm not, if I remember correctly, he got knocked out of that game either at halftime yeah. or early in the third quarter somewhere around then. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that backfield from just a kind of a carries dispersion standpoint? It seems like they're two backs that have very different skill sets. Is it? Is Boyd kind of the bell cow and they use Whaley in a couple of different ways? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, so far Rakeem has been getting a majority of the snaps. He is technically the starter. Um, but they did a lot of – they had a lot of rotation on Saturday. You know, they even got Chase Hayden involved at some point. Uh, the goal really to keep everyone fresh and healthy because they don't want to risk injuring Rakeem again. Um, but – I think that, that Devois is just a really versatile back. You know, he's, like you said, he's, he's more, he's shifty, basically. And he can do different things. I, I feel like he and Rakeem just kind of complement each other. You know, uh, anytime that Rakeem starts having trouble, you bring in Devois and you kind of automatically have a little bit of a different skill set there, uh, a little bit more 
uh, I don't, I don't know how I want to describe him because he would probably like to be called, you know, an all-around back. Uh, so I don't want to offend anybody here, but <laughs> but he's, you know, I feel like he's better in short bursts. He's better whatever you can put him in for a couple of plays and then take him out and have Rakim, who's there, able to just constantly grind away every single play. Uh, they just offer a little bit of a little bit of different things, and they're both very good. They both have a lot of experience. I mean, Devois started uh, for, I believe, a year and a half before Rakim took over. So, you know, you have a really experienced group back there, and it's also uh, the room that they have be the most depth in. So, you know, running back is, is really the biggest strength for Arkansas right now on the offense. Ole Miss put together – particularly in that first half against Memphis, one of the worst offensive line performances I've seen in, in quite a while. And it was one of those things with – well, Ole Miss is an interesting team because they have some upperclassmen on defense, and they looked much improved there. But on the offensive side of the ball, they're a really, really young team. You know, true a redshirt freshman quarterback, a lot of young skill pieces, senior running back. But the offensive line was the biggest question mark with this team going in, with without a shadow of a doubt. And they didn't really pass the smell test against – Memphis at all, and Arkansas starts, I believe, four seniors on the defensive line and appear to have a, a pretty good semblance of depth there. Is there one guy in particular in your mind that will cause Ole Miss problems? Because particularly on the left side of the offensive line, Ole Miss was in a world of hurt for that game, and Memphis exploited it badly. I mean, Memphis overloaded the left side a lot of times. Most blitzes they brought were from that side. Is there a guy in particular you could think of that would that would cause Ole Miss problems in particular other than I mean I think all four will give them a run for their money because of how badly they struggled last week but is there one guy that stands out in particular well I think McTelvin Ajim uh his nickname is Sosa he's just such a problem this season because he's really grown a lot as a player he's really quick he's uh he used to be a defensive end he moved to tackle toward the end of last season he put on the weight and he's still moving just as quickly as he was last year. If not, he might even be a little bit faster. Um, he's, he's very athletic. He had, um, I want to say, at least two sacks last week. And, yeah, he's, he's definitely a problem. But also, Arkansas is going to be without one of its seniors on the defensive line, Dorian Gerald. He strained an artery in his neck last week. Um, so they'll have another senior, Jamario Bell, who steps into his place, but much less experience. Um, but, yeah, I, I think McTelvin Ajim is, is going to be a problem. Uh, really kind of think the defense in general is going to be a problem from Ole Miss. They're, they're looking much better than they did last year. I've never heard of a strained artery. That sounds incredibly painful. Um, but I guess I'm also not a doctor. As far as um, as far as Arkansas's defense, it was interesting. You mentioned them being improved from last year. Just from what kind of you've gauged this season, how much of that was because of the offense not really doing much and not staying on the field, and how much was it truly just defensive struggles last year? Do you think? Um, I think it was probably a combination of both. You know, and, and then there's the fact that all of these guys in the secondary, they were so young last year. And I mean, there, there are still a number of sophomores who are, uh, who are playing in the secondary right now, but they just have a little bit more experience. And it seems like they've really kind of, uh, there's something about the second season with Chad Morris where everyone feels a little bit more excited. Everyone feels, uh, a little bit more willing to give effort through every single play, you know, and they really emphasize turnovers like 
every other team does during fall camp. But it, it seems to be working. They had three interceptions against Portland State. And, you know, they're, they're really coming into their own as a secondary right now. As as far as offensively for Arkansas, Ole Miss, Memphis tested Ole Miss in space a lot. They And it was something Ole Miss really struggled with. One of the reasons they were one of the worst defenses in college football last year is they were one of the worst tackling defenses in the country. I mean, teams really got the ball out quick and got it in space. And Ole Miss missed a lot of tackles and guys ran for a long time without being touched. Is is that something you think Arkansas will try to do? How much of the, the Morris' scheme is kind of getting it to guys quickly in space? You know, running game, I guess, notwithstanding, because you do have a bruising back in, in Boyd in that sense. But I guess from what you saw in that opening game, how much do you think they'll try to push the ball kind of vertically down the field in the passing game as opposed to kind of get it out of Hicks or Starkle's hands quickly into guys, maybe on the perimeter in the flats, that type of thing? Yeah, so we actually saw... Um quite a few of the plays that were actually more successful last week were getting it out to people on the flat and doing it very quickly. Um, Mike Woods, I believe, he had, I think, two. And one of them, he, he tripped, but another went for, you know, like 12 yards or something. They've really been used, utilizing uh, wide receiver Devion Warren on those types of plays because he is one of the fastest players on their team. And uh, I think they tried it twice with him. Uh in the flat and then won a, a jet sweep, I believe. And he just is insanely fast. He's good at making people miss. And I think that with seeing how well that worked the few times that they used it last Saturday, I, I think that they're definitely going to go back to that. Um, they will try to get down the field more often because they didn't do much of it last week. And the result of that was, you know, they didn't have enough of those big plays that are kind of momentum uh, for the offense and can kind of help them get into a rhythm. So they will try to go vertical more often just because they have a couple of really tall wide receivers um, in Trey Knox and Traylon Burks, the two freshmen. And so they'll try to get it to them more often. But I, I do anticipate Mike Woods and Devion Warren getting a couple of those quick throws. And uh, if they do, then it's definitely going to be a problem for Ole Miss because they're both really fast and uh, they've been known to make people miss. So Arkansas will probably try to lean that way a little bit more. I think that's part partially where this game's won and lost, at least from an Ole Miss standpoint, because they fared a lot better against it last week against Memphis, and I think that was probably one of the one of the reasons people, you know, people can generally gauge that the defense performed well, which I don't think many people would have thought been the case going into the year. It's it's kind of from a from a macro and not micro standpoint. Where is the if, if you could gauge the temperature of Arkansas's fan base? It's fascinating to me. They probably knew this was going to be a longer-ish rebuild given the drastically different styles of football from Bielema to to Morris. Where are they at right now? Do you sense that patience still there? I, I mean, I know asking patience from fans is, is, is kind of a lost cause in general. Where do you gauge the fan base is necessarily at with, with where the football program is at this point? You know, I mean, I, I feel like there is a large group of them that understands that this takes time, and you can't go from how bad Arkansas was last year to suddenly winning 10 games this year. And there are some of them who are, who are very patient and who understand that and who are willing to kind of wait until Arkansas gets into conference play here before they start making any snap judgments, especially because, like I said, we didn't see their full offense last week. Um, but then it never fails. I, I do a mailbag on The Athletic every two weeks. And every two weeks, 
almost pretty much. Uh, I've had someone asking me what what is it going to take for Chad to get fired? You know, does he have to <laughs> just win two games this year? Is that enough to get him fired? Or you know, should we be looking for another head coach? Um, so you definitely have you know, I would say it's it's let's say sixty percent of the fan base is feeling patient, at least the sixty percent I deal with on a regular basis, and then. There's 40% who is very much uh, wanting success now and wanting a lot of it. And I understand that. But, you know, coming from where they were coming from last year, it's just, it's not possible, you know? I mean, I, I feel like they need to um, kind, of, kind of temper their expectations and, you know, understand that there are a lot of other things that would indicate progress for this team that aren't just going to be, you know, reaching six wins. The last thing before I let you go, it's, it's interesting. I mean, how do you see this playing out? I know Las Vegas had this, I think, opened as Ole Miss is a six-point favorite. To me, as accurate as Vegas is, that didn't necessarily mean a whole lot, at least given the recent history of these two teams. How do you see this going? Oh, man. Okay, so... I haven't put too much thought into who was actually going to win this game. Don't worry, but, I have no clue either. I have no <laughs> clue how this is going to go. It, it, it really feels like a toss-up um, between two not great teams, or at least they're not great right now. And, um, you know, just because I know more of the Arkansas side of it, I'm going to go benefit of the doubt here, and I'm going to say Arkansas is going to win by a small margin, um, mostly because Chad... And everyone of the players we talked to yesterday kept saying that wasn't our full offense, that was our base offense on Saturday. And so uh, they're really trying to reassure everyone that they can play faster and they are hopefully going to finish more in their eyes. So, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to put my faith in them for right now and I'm going to say they're going to win by, I don't know, three to seven points. There you have it. Well, she is Kelly Stacy. Go read her at The Athletic. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you need to right now. It is it is worth every bit. You can follow her on Twitter at Kelly, K-E-L-L-I underscore Stacy underscore Kelly. We really, really appreciate your time. That was uh, great stuff. And safe travels getting here on Saturday. Thanks for having me. And that was Kelly Stacy. Um, really appreciate her time. Like I said a second ago, if you don't subscribe to the athletic you should it is uh it is worth every penny um so read her going up into that game if you want an inside look at arkansas um hope you enjoyed what she had to say there she had a lot of interesting thoughts on arkansas's quarterback situation kind of their defensive line what Ole miss maybe we'll see up front against arkansas where they fared very poorly i imagine arkansas will continue to try to attack a very weak left side of the Ole miss offensive line which brings me to an interesting an interesting point they Ole Miss is at a point. Oh, I say at a point. You're one game in the season. There is there. They have to find a long term fix up the middle and at the left side of the offensive line. I don't know if that's moving Ben Brown to center. I don't know if that's ditching this versatility idea with Bryce Matthews and just sticking him at left tackle because it's better than what you have. But unless there's some kind of candid, uh, remarkable improvement in the first couple of series of this game, Ole Miss has to do something with the left side in the middle of its defensive line because it is bad. It is very, very bad, and they're not going to survive another performance like that. So I don't know if it's moving Ben Brown to center and kind of sticking another, like, you know, 
putting in a Jalen Cunningham or someone else at tackle or it's trusting Nick Broker. I think they're in kind of a holding pattern right now in the sense that Broker didn't play last week. And so I think they probably want to see what they have in Broker at left tackle and if he's up to the challenge. And if not, they're going to have to do something drastic, I think. Yeah, um, it's kind of wild to me that Broker didn't play last week, but they're certainly going to get him into the swing of things this week. Yep, like you said, they, uh, they've got to do something. And uh, if he's the answer, good on him. Uh, it's a lot to ask for a true freshman, but I don't think you can watch what you did last week and just sit there and roll it back out and expect different results. That's the definition of insanity. So good on him for trying something different. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles uh, playing in his first game, being an SEC game, and, and we'll see. Uh, but it's going to be interesting for sure. Well, part of the reason they didn't really he, they, he didn't really play last week is Ole Miss only got fifty three snaps offensively, and they were so far behind, they were so disoriented in terms of what they were trying to do that there really wasn't a whole lot of like I, I like he basically didn't play because there wasn't very many snaps to be had. They only ran fifty three plays as an offense, and so I think they were just kind of they had so many other issues going on. It makes I mean, not that it makes sense, but I understand I guess why he was kind of omitted from the rotation there. Uh, we talked to Jack Bicknell after practice yesterday for a bit. We talked to Alex Givens as well. Givens said he held up pretty well physically. Um, he played 37 of the 53 snaps, said his body held up pretty well. Admitted that it was probably more so of a conditioning issue than his back holding up physically. Um, he should probably be pretty close to full go this week. It'll be interesting to see his improvement um, from week one to week two in terms of how many snaps he's able to take, how, how big of a load he's able to absorb. I imagine after this week, particularly with C-Law the next week going into the Cal game. Givens will pretty much be full go, and this will probably be put in the rear view unless he re-aggravates something. Um, Jack McNell had some interesting stuff to say talking about how badly they struggled. Um, they're basically they're going to try Broker. They're going to try some different things, possibly Ben Brown at center. Um, they said with you know, they said they have seven. Ole Miss played six guys in that game. McNell said they're comfortable playing seven, and they really need to get to a point where they find an eighth. Whether it's a Jalen Cunningham, whether it's a Jeremy James, they probably really need a guard because Broker's the seventh. He's going to play this week. Matt Luke declared that on Monday. It just kind of is what it is there. He's going to play. I don't know how much. So he's number seven. And number eight, they really need one of these guards to step up. Um, Darius Thomas was back at practice yesterday. Um, for the first time, uh, he was a kid with a heart, true freshman Big dude, heart. He had a heart condition that said he'd be really evaluated in September. I'm not saying you're, that's going to be the guy because I don't think they can really count on him. There's small hope he'll play at the end of the year, but he was back at practice yesterday. They need a Jalen Cunningham. They need someone to kind of step up at guard and be that eighth guy. But at the same time, they have plenty of issues with the five that they're running out there. And so it'll be interesting to me what the offensive line rotation is this week. Um you know how many snaps Broker sees at left tackle, how long of a leash Michael Howard is, because they aren't going to be able to survive another performance like the one he gave in that game. I think he graded out at like a 16 on pro football focus. They're just not going to be able to absorb that again. They're going to have to do something different. You know, They tried to help him a little bit in the second half with some more tight end stuff. Help it, kind of uses him as a crutch there. It worked in terms of the running game. Ole Miss averaged 4.9 yards a carry in the second half in the running game and .1 in the first. Um, I'll have a story on that later today on kind of what the difference was. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the offensive line rotation is this week, how many guys play, who plays what snaps, because something has to be different because they're not going to pers- – they're not going to survive another performance like they had, particularly from the left side, and I think center's an issue, too. Yeah, um, like you said, it, it, they performed that badly on one side of the offensive line again on Saturday. It, it's not going to go well. 
So uh, kudos to them for recognizing it, I guess, and not beating their head against the wall because that wouldn't work either. So uh, we'll see on Saturday. Uh, there's got to be some improvement there one way or the other if, if they're going to compete in this football game. Yeah, um, so uh, that's really kind of all the old Miss notes I had. I think um, Kedron Smith was in a green no-contact uniform at practice yesterday. Said that was more of a precaution than anything. He said he suffered a bit of a stinger. Um, he said he's not really really concerned he'll be ready to go by Saturday. Um, we talked to him and Charles Clark um, about the secondary and how they fared better tackling in space. We talked a little bit about that some um, bef- beforehand. And one of the oh yeah, Ole Miss, one of the reasons they were the worst, one of the worst defenses in college football last year was that they were one of the worst tackling defenses in the country. And Memphis tried to pepper them with that, getting guys in space. And Ole Miss missed some tackles, and it broke for longer-ish plays, but they swarmed the ball better in general. Ole Miss fared much better tackling in space. Jalen Jones made a nice play on a fourth and one. I believe Kedron Smith made a couple nice plays on third and short, kind of stuffing some plays. And if, you know, Memphis respects the middle of that. Memphis respected the middle of Ole Miss's defensive line in front seven enough to try to throw the ball in screen passes and other things on third and fourth and short. Um, that's a good sign, and then Ole Miss held up well. I mean, they, they passed the smell test in the sense from a tackling and space perspective. I imagine teams will continue to hit Ole Miss with that a lot until they're able to kind of consistently prove um, consistently prove that they've improved in that category. Um, I think with Rakeem Boyd at Arkansas, you're going to see a lot similar to Patrick Taylor. I'm not saying they're necessarily similar backs, but in terms of carry load, like I think Patrick Taylor had 27 carries for 148 yards, 128 yards, something like that. Um, yeah, he had 100 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Ole Miss kind of kept him in check, though. He didn't really torch them. I mean, it took 27 carries to get, you know, slightly over the century mark. So I think you'll see a similar carry load from Rakeem Boyd, who absolutely torched Ole Miss last year until he was knocked out of that game. So that'll be interesting to watch. They're going to have another test against another good running back, which that's not really going to change much in this league because even the weaker schools like Vanderbilt, you know, they they <clears throat> they possess a big, really good running back in Keyshawn Vaughn. Like, you're going to face a really good back in this league week in and week out. I don't know who Cal has necessarily at running back, but I imagine it's not a ton different. So uh, another test for Ole Miss's front seven in that sense. It'll be interesting to see how Arkansas attacks them in the short to intermediate passing game as opposed to throwing the ball down the field and maybe testing the deep ball and some other things. Um, I'll be interested to see that. How much does Tad Morris trust Ben Hicks or Nick Starkle to, to force the football down the field vertically? How much does he want to try to get it to Whaley in space or a couple of their slot guys or even some of their bigger guys kind of towards the sideline or test them with the deep ball? What is the balance of that? That'll be fascinating to me. Um, I think this game is probably won and lost again with how Ole Miss tackles in space. I know that sounds simplistic, but if Arkansas is going to pepper them with screens, they're going to get Whaley out in space, and then they're going to pound you with Boyd. How does Ole Miss hold up against that for a second consecutive week, a similar attack to what Memphis had? Because I, I kind of like Brady White. I'm not sure um, Chad Morris trusts either Starkle or Hicks to push the ball vertically down the field. So I think you'll get a similar type of attack. How does Ole Miss hold up against it again? And then really the place where this game is going to be won and lost, as it was last week, is <coughs> excuse me, how, are, how Ole Miss holds up against Arkansas's defensive line. I mean, you got four seniors on that. Um, I believe Dorian Gerald, you heard Kelly say it a second ago, but I can't remember what she said. One of their uh, defensive ends is out. I believe it's Dorian Gerald, maybe, I think, is not going to be out. He had a uh, strained artery, which I've never even heard of. And I'm not a doctor, but that sounds... 
that sounds fairly serious. Um, I don't know how you strain an artery, but uh, that seems pretty messed up. Um, so anyway, they'll be out with one of their guys there. Arkansas's got pretty decent depth on the defensive line, a couple of seniors and a couple of freshmen at the back end of their two deep. Um, how Ole Miss fares against that defensive line, how how well they pick up blitzes is ultimately going to be when when how, if this game is won or lost because that's where it was last week. Ole Miss couldn't overcome the putrid offensive performance they had in the first half, and that started up front with the offensive line. And they played better in the second half, but it wasn't enough to overcome it. So I think that's where this game is won and lost. Yeah, I mean, if Ole Miss plays better on the offensive line, they'll probably win on Saturday. Uh, if they don't, then uh, Matt Corral will get killed. They'll play poorly, and, and they'll lose. I mean, I really don't think it's much more complicated than that. If the offensive line plays well, Scotty Phillips will have a good day. Uh, there'll be open passing lanes for Matt Corral. And if they don't, there won't be. So, I mean, I, if you tell me, I think I, I can figure out after four drives who's going to win this football game, honestly. If Ole Miss's offensive line is better, they'll win. If it's not, I don't really think they will. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how much more Ole Miss opens up the playbook. Uh, excuse me, Arkansas opens up the playbook and how much last week was actually an indication of how good or bad they are um, as you know, as opposed to what they actually are as an offense. So that'll be interesting. Um, really not a ton of news elsewhere. Uh, NFL starts up this week. You've got Bears-Packers tomorrow night. Um, I believe that game is at Soldier Field in Chicago. Uh, full week NFL. That's my favorite time of the year. I love NFL Sundays. It's the one day I can kind of do nothing. I'll write a little bit in the morning and then watch football nonstop for eight hours and not have anyone bother me. I uh, probably won't even leave the house. Um, it'll be it'll be awesome. I love the NFL. I'm glad it's back. Um, you had Notre Dame Louisville on Monday. Um, Louisville probably is a little short on talent, but Scott Satterfield is a really good football coach. Um, that was an interesting game to me because Notre Dame was all out of sorts in the second half, but they really kind of hunkered down and played a lot better when that game could have gotten squirrely very quickly. I thought Ian Book was a lot better in the second half. Um, not Notre Dame's greatest performance. I think Louisville was a little better than people gave them credit for or they had a better game plan or whatever. They were schemed up pretty well. Um, but I, I was... Notre Dame didn't play their best game, but I thought it was—I uh, I thought it was—I thought it was telling in some senses how they were able to go in the halftime locker room, kind of be like, "Okay, this is going to be a game," and then they played pretty soundly in the second half. Yeah, uh, Notre Dame goes to Georgia in two weeks. God bless, because uh, they play like that in Georgia, and, and they will get killed. So I'm interested in that. I think they're a good—they're a top ten team, but they go to—they go to Athens in two weeks, and I think they're going to get run out of there. So. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure Notre Dame's going to find themselves in the playoffs this year. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. That's about all we had. Um. We'll be back on Friday show with some picks. Um. Some other things. Um. Mailbag Friday as well. Get your questions in. Um. You know, tweet me, text me, email me, wh- however you want to get these questions in. Mailbag Friday's back. Um, we'll have some picks, some different stuff heading into the second weekend of college football. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, or rate and review the podcast, I should say. Give us five stars. Say whatever you want in the comment section. It doesn't matter. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, that's about all I got. I'm going to get out of here and get some writing done. But um, for Brian's, or for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Um, we will see you back on Friday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.